Today, as we get into the message today, uh, I'm actually going to be preaching or teaching for only about, about 20 minutes, and then I'm going to ask Pastor Susie, Susie to come up, because today is actually a very important and special day, because today is, we will be sharing the vision of our church community. Um, after months and months of meetings and discussions and prayer, we finally landed on how we believe God is leading us to move forward. And so um, we've been going back and forth, asking God, having all these meetings, and finally we're excited to share the vision of New Philadelphia Church. And so I'm going to ask um, Pastor Susie to come up and share after I share about 20 minutes and what I feel like. Um, why I'm, I'm here is I'm going to be preaching and teaching on what the purpose of vision is. Why is vision important? Why is today important? And, um, yeah. And to start off, I want to share about a moment in my life when I was in college. I was attending this a discipleship seminar, and it was like a week-long seminar. And the guest speaker at that time, he was about to teach his message, and then his, his friend walks into room. It walks into the room, and his friend says, hey, what's up, man? And then the speaker says, hey, Jim, what's going on, man? It's so good to see you. And then to the class, the speaker goes, hey, Jim, why don't you come up here real quick? Hey, this is my friend, Jim. Hey, Jim, can you just give a quick exhortation, just, just two minutes, just share whatever you need, need, whatever you want to these students. Here you go, right? And then Jim, he's not even the main speaker, He's some guy we don't know. He comes up to the stage. He grabs the mic, right? And he just says, he just says this, man, only two minutes to say one thing uh, to all these precious discipleship students. And he says this one thing, and it sticks to me till this day. He said, guys, here's my advice, and here's my exhortation. He said, find out what's important to God and make it important to you. Find out what's important to God And make it important to you. So simple. He said, God bless, guys. And he walked away. And then the guy taught for like two hours. And I didn't remember anything that that guy taught. (laughs) But I just remember that one line. For some reason, God breathed on that quote. And it stuck with my heart. Every season of my life, I remember this quote. Find out what is important to God. Make it important to you. In other words, find out God's vision and align your life to it. Amen? Find out God's vision, God's longings, God's passion, and align your life, your vision to that. That's what he was saying. Today I'm going to be preaching from one verse, and you don't need to turn there. I'll just read it for us. It's from Proverbs 29:18, And if you're writing... Um, I'm, I'm going to be reading from the ESV, and I like the ESV version of this. Proverbs 29:18 it says this: "Where there is no prophetic vision, everyone say prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law." I'm going to read that one more time. It says, "Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint." But blessed is he who keeps the law. Another version of this, it says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. Right? Some of us, we have heard this before. Right? When I hear about this verse, 
I always referred to this verse to motivate myself and as a leader to rally people toward a movement, toward a certain goal. Right? I always refer to this verse as, hey, the Bible says that we should have vision in our endeavors. We should have vision for our lives. We should have vision as an organization and as a church. And even corporate companies, Christian CEOs would go, you know, would go and say, the Bible is right. We should have vision. Practically, it's a good thing. Right? It's good to have vision and be intentional about how we navigate this life. Or otherwise, we're just kind of wandering purposely, pur- uh, purposeless. Right? Now, as I studied this verse... And as I kind of use that verse to kind of motivate others toward a certain goal or ambition, I've come to realize that actually this verse has nothing to do with that. This verse has nothing to do with cultivating a vision toward a certain goal for any organization or institution. Having vision is important and being intentional about it is being important. What I just explained to us Let's call that general vision, right? Everyone say general vision, right? The thing is, I've come to know that this verse is not talking about general vision, but it's talking about prophetic vision. It's talking about prophetic vision. That's why I like the ESV, because the ESV doesn't just say vision, but it emphasizes prophetic vision, all right? What this verse is not saying is not to be used to push, push forward man's agenda. What this verse is not saying is not talking about furthering progress for any organization or institution. Right? What is this verse saying? What is prophetic vision? And prophetic vision, if you've been in the charismatic stream or charismatic circle, prophetic vision is not talking about when we pray and we get a certain image, right? Or a certain unction or a certain oracle from God and let's grab that and let's use that to move forward. This verse is not talking about that kind of prophetic vision, although there's a time and place for that. This verse right here, where there is no prophetic vision, is talking about simply prophetic meaning a word coming from God. It's the word of the Lord, meaning the truth of God. The heart of God. The vision that is aligned with God. In other words, prophetic vision, it means God's overall vision. God's overall vision. Right? It's not just any direction when it comes to vision. It's God's direction. He does have a specific direction according to the Bible. So this verse is talking about allowing... uh, uh, Excuse me. This verse is talking about aligning our lives to God's vision, His truth, and His ways. This is talking about how our personal visions and our church visions should align with God's vision. Right? And so here, it says, where there is no prophetic vision, it says, the people cast off restraint. The people cast off restraint. What it's saying here is that, When we are not aligned to God's overall vision, we have tendencies, because our sinful behavior, we have tendencies to, it says, cast off restraint. What this means is people throw away and abandon God's guidance. 
where man turns to our own ways and our own wisdom. And we throw away God's guidance and his wisdom. When we think of the, the word restraint, what image comes to mind? When I think of the word restraint, I think of straitjacket. Right? Like, you're so restrained. It's as if we have a tendency sometimes where we approach the law and the word of the Lord and we feel some kind of restraint. Sometimes we feel like God's ways and God's vision and God's law is kind of restraining us and trapping us from wanting to live the way that we want to live. Where Christianity then becomes a drag. Have you been there? I've been there. Right? But the word restraint, it's not actually talking about straitjacket restraint. Restraint, it's talking about guidance. So you can imagine a yoke. A yoke that goes onto a cow. When that yoke is on, on the cow, you know what the purpose of that yoke is? Is to restrain the cow. The purpose of the yoke is actually to guide and keep the cow in line. So what is this verse saying? It's saying that when we align our lives, when we align our church here, community, align it with God's vision, right? Then we stay in line with what God has for us. We stay in line with it, right? So we can either have the yoke of the world. The yoke of the world can be our guide or the yoke of Jesus where he says, come to me, all who are weary, and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And Jesus is saying, let me guide you. The heaviness of the world of trying to lead your life, it's too heavy. It's too tiring. The demands of this world, the pressures of this world, it's very tiring. And Jesus is saying, come to me. Take my yoke upon you. Let me guide you. Let me give you my vision. Come and hear my heart and align yourself to it. And then it says on the rest of the verse, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, but blessed, everyone say blessed, is he who keeps the law. Blessed is he who keeps the law. What is this guy saying? He's saying this, being aligned to God's vision leads to blessing. Who wants to be blessed here? Hallelujah. Who wants to be part of a church community that is blessed? Amen. So this verse is saying those who stay in line, those who follow the law, those who are aligned and catch God's vision in his heart, right? Stay in line and they will be blessed. What it's not saying is if you keep the law, this, this, and this, God will bless your plans in the way you want it. That's not what it's saying. But God still can bless because he's also a good father. Okay, let's not, you know, go on extremes here, right? But what this is saying is God is saying, what's your perspective of the law? What is our perspective of the word of God that he has given us? Do we trust that this law that is given to us, we know the law, we read the Bible to discover the law, but what is our perspective on the lawgiver? Is he good? Because when we really believe in our hearts, and it's hard to believe it at times when life goes crazy, right? When we believe it, that God is good, 
we will trust and believe that the law that is given to us is not only for God's glory, but also for our good. It's designed like that. It's designed like that. So, all this talk about God's vision. Question I want to ask you guys. What is God's vision? I'm saying all these things like, align our lives to God's vision, then you will be blessed. What is God's vision? I want you to, I want to invite you guys to imagine with me. Imagine with me the uncreated triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, just there. Just there. And then out of nothing, they created something. And then the world began. Imagine the dialogue amongst the triune God. Use your imagination, right? Imagine them talking together and being like, you know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Hey, out of nothing, we're going to be me. I'm going to be me. And let's create. Boom. Right? And God created the heavens and the earth. You know, God created all these things. Can you imagine that dialogue? And for me, when I think about this thing, I can't help but think God had a purpose and God has a vision for why he did that. God has a specific vision of when he created. God has a specific vision. Why did he create all these things? Why did he do these things? To what end? What is God's vision? And today I want to teach you guys a very technical word. And I think it will help that I learned in seminary, this word is called protology. Everyone say protology. protology. All right. Stay with me here, all right? We're going to learn a new word today. Protology, anything that ends with ology means the study of. Protology, proto. You know the word prototype. It means the original, the first. So protology is a study of original design. Protology is the study of the beginning. What this means is if we want to study protology, the only place we could find and study about protology is Genesis 1 and 2. Genesis 1 and 2 is protology. You guys know eschatology, the study of the end times. Protology, the reason why I'm teaching us this word, is because when God created all things, he had a vision in mind. He had a vision in mind, and when we study the beginning, the origins, all this stuff happened, and then Genesis 3 happened. Sin came into the world. So let me create a timeline for you. God, eternal God was here, right? And he said, let there be light, right? And he created the heavens and the earth, and then boom, protology, the beginning happened. Genesis 1, Genesis 2 happened, and then boom, sin came into the world. And then now here we are, right? 2,000-something years later. I don't know how, you know? Time is going, time is going, time is going. And then boom, this time is going to end. And the study of this end time is called eschatology. Here's the thing. The time between when sin came into the world up until Jesus comes back to restore all things, this time period that we are still in right now is called redemptive history redemptive history where God is redeeming all things to restore his original design. 
original design, in the Garden of Eden, what was God's intent? He gave this. He gave, what happened? He brought Adam and Eve together. He brought marriage, right? And then what happened? He created them in their image. And then when he created them in their image, he commanded them, gave them an ordinance, gave them a commandment to multiply. Procreation. And I like to say the multiplication of image bearers. Multiplying those who reflect the image of God to populate the earth. Marriage, procreation, and then what? Subdue and take dominion over the earth. God gave us that. Take dominion over the earth. You have authority. And then what? To work. But then in original design is work without pain. You know, it was joyous work. And then Sabbath to rest. All of this existed before sin came into the picture. This was original design. Now, I don't have time to go into all of it, but all of these things I said in protology in the beginning, all of this encapsulated, if I could simplify it into one thing, is this. God's vision is fellowship and family. God's vision is all about fellowship with him and family with one another. It's to rule and reign in his kingdom. Man, like, can, you use our, you know, can we use our imagination? What if sin never came into the picture and then God's vision continued forward? Right? I wonder what it would have been like. I mean, like, we don't know, right? But all this to say there is a vision and God's longing of his heart. The reason why he created all things. The reason why he set into motion all these things that we are living in right now is family. It's fellowship. In the garden, there was unbroken fellowship with God. There was perfect intimacy. We Like, what is that? Perfect intimacy, unbroken fellowship. Where there's no fear, where there's 100% safety, where there's 100% revelation of one another. We can't even fathom that, but that's what God designed. That's what God designed. God's vision is fellowship and family. So all in all, we as individuals and we as a body of Christ, we are all invited to pursue being in alignment with God's wonderful vision. Where there is no prophetic vision, people cast off restraint. God is inviting every single one of us here and here as a church to align our lives, to align our hearts to God's vision. As in, God is inviting us to prioritize the passion of God's heart, the longing of God's heart. And what is that? It's fellowship with him and his family. And I want to close with this before Pastor Susie up. Is that when Jesus came here on this earth. I want to read from Hebrews 12 2. It says this. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. The pioneer and perfecter of faith. And it says this about Jesus. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. 
Why am I sharing this? And he's saying this. When Jesus lived his life in his three years here, what was his vision? What did he have his sights on? What was the end goal that Jesus was fixed on? Jesus wanted fellowship. He wanted to reconcile us so that we can have fellowship with the Father. Jesus wanted us to be adopted into his family. So, Je- so Jesus' vision was fellowship and family. But his mission to get to that vision was the cross of Jesus Christ. The way that he did it and the way that Jesus lived, the purpose and his mission was to die upon that cross, to die the death that we should have died. So that we can be invited to be a part of God's vision. Now every single one of us here, those who believe that Jesus has laid down his life for us, we have the greatest privilege to be invited into throwing our lives into God's vision. Throwing our lives into God's vision. God is so passionate about you and I experiencing fellowship with him, fellowship with one another, and family according to what he had in his heart since the beginning. Since the beginning. Amen? So, with that in mind, as Pastor Susie comes up to share this fresh vision for our community. Are you guys excited? Yeah? Uh, As she shares this vision, please remember that this vision that she shares is not to push forward and build any legacy of man or New Philly, but we believe that this vision is in alignment with the longing of God's heart. We believe that this vision is aligned with God's vision that I just talked about. So let's just invite up our uh, Pastor Susie as she shares the vision. All right. So it's very exciting that um, we'll, we'll get to talk about this today. Um, it's ha- it has everything to do with what we've been talking about last three weeks, actually. Last three, four weeks. How we've been talking about um, the parable of the two sons. And so the vision for the church is going to be calling all to the feast. So today I'm just going to take a few minutes to actually expand it and explain it for us. And in the next few weeks, we're actually going to preach on different things related to this. So um, this is going to be our vision from here on out. New Philly is going to be a church that calls all to the feast. And there's three different main portions that come from this particular vision. The first part is a great commandment. So loving God and loving others has everything to do with calling others to the feast. Second part is a great commission, making disciples of all nations. That is part of the calling of calling all to the feast, right? (laughs) And then last part is going to be forerunner calling. So preparing the way of the Lord. This is a very crucial part of our DNA as a church and as our calling um, to be the church that God is, is shaping us out to be. So these are the three different parts 
um, that uh, we'll use to explain what calling all to the feast means. So if I were to just focus on the first part, loving God and loving others, we actually started this year. I don't know if you guys remember, we're still at SFS. We talked about what it means to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then at the same time, to also love your neighbor as yourself. And so there's two parts that come with a great commandment. The first is personal and intimate relationship with God. It is the Father's feast bought with a price for the reconciliation of fallen mankind with a holy God. We cannot call others to a feast unless we ourselves are feasting first. And our communion and our fellowship with God, it cannot be born out of obligation, out of duty, out of payback. It has to be genuine enjoyment, genuine celebration with God. And so this is a crucial part of us understanding what it means to actually feast at the Lord's table. We need to have personal and intimate relationship with God. It's not okay just the church as a general kind of whole to be passionate about God. We as individuals, we need to be connecting with him at a personal level. And we need to be cultivating intimacy with him as well. So that's the first part of the great commandment. The second part is personal, intimate communion with one another as well. It is a family feast, not just a father's feast, but it brings about a family. It gathers a family, reconciling elder brothers with younger brothers, Jew and Gentile, male and female, etc., into one family and one body of Christ. So in Revelation 3.20, it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, this is Jesus speaking, and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. This is understanding that those who answer the invitation of God, they are called to dine, feast with God himself. In Psalm 23, it talks about God preparing a table before us in the presence of our enemies. This tells us that even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, so it doesn't matter if you're having a great year or a really hard year, even in the presence of your worst enemies, even there, there is an enjoyment, a joy, a celebration, a satisfaction that we experience as we commune with God and as we commune with one another. So there needs to be a sense of celebration, of enjoyment in our relationship with God, And only when we are fully secure in our acceptance and understanding that the gospel draws us close to a holy God, it is there that we can actually let go of our insecurities, let go of all our defense mechanisms and all the ways in which we push people away. We can see one another as brother and sister. We can see one another eye to eye and extend that same love that was extended to us as well. So all of these things are comprised in the great commandment. And so whether you are rebellious like the younger son or religious like the older son, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, whether you are a longtime believer in God or not, it doesn't matter. Our teaching, our praying, our worship, our service, our giving, all of that will stem from this life-giving call to love God and to love one another. And this is what we want our church to be marked by. Honestly, this is what every church should be marked by if, if we're really, you know, believing in the word of God. And so this is the great, uh, this is the, the first part, the great commandment. The second part, the great commission, making disciples of all, all nations. What does this mean? It means that we call others to the feast. We're not okay with just sitting with one another there with the presence of the Lord and Kumbaya and all of that. We are called actually to call others to the feast as well we are servants commissioned to go out into the highways and byways to call others to the feast this is from matthew 22 
also with the heart of the father who runs out to meet the younger son and goes out to plead with the elder son. We were just talking about this a few weeks ago, right? We are commissioned to call others to the feast. This is the same heart of the father in the same way that he drew us into the banqueting table. We ought to do the same with our brothers and our sisters. So once again, we're not just called to enjoy God and enjoy you know, one another in our presence with one another, we're also called to go out. We're not just okay with having a great time within these four walls. We're called to go out and call others into the feast as well. And this is how we bring glory to his name. This is how we also partake in the father's joy. This is God's invitation of the gospel extended to all people, regardless of race, background, socioeconomic background. It doesn't really matter. God's invitation in the gospel is extended to all people. And if we truly believe the gospel, then we ought to also call others to that as well. So that's a great commission. The last part, the forerunner calling, it means preparing the way of the Lord. So we're ultimately called to prepare the way for his return. We are called to be a generation that awaits his return. Because the ultimate end times feast is actually expressed in Revelation 19.7 with a wedding supper of the Lamb. There's urgency and wait, uh, wait, as in wait, as we wait for the, that was unintentional, for the bridegroom, according to Matthew 25. So this is the, the parable of the virgins waiting for the return of the bridegroom and a resulting consecration unto his return. So it doesn't mean that we're just doing all these things with no end in sight. We actually have a purpose. We have a calling as a generation. And we are called to prepare the way of the Lord. Forerunner is just another word to explain just preparing the way for the Lord. We see different figures in um, the Bible that are forerunner figures. People like Elijah, people like John the Baptist, they are called to prepare the way for the coming of God. And we also, as a generation, were called to prepare the world for the return of Christ as well. So when we talk about the forerunner calling, it's not just, you know, a, a, a cool way to, to frame and, and word something. It's actually a purpose that we are equipped to fulfill as a generation. And this um, is what we're going to be focusing on even as a church as well. It means that we're doing this with a purpose in sight. And there's going to be empowerment from the Holy Spirit to do so as well. It means that we cannot afford to be complacent. We cannot afford to dilly-dally and just wander around and hope that things work out okay. We're called at an urgent time, and we're called to preach a particular message to this generation. So this, these are the three parts of calling all to the feast. It means that we engage in the great commandment, we engage in the great commission, and we have a forerunner calling as a church and as a people of God. So these are just three different ways in which we are expressing calling all to the feast. Um, this is what our next few weeks will look like. So next week, we're going to be talking about the great, uh, the great commandment, loving God and loving others. The following Sunday, every two months, we've been having uh, a special Sunday where we have our prayer tab team kind of lead us in a time of worship and extended prayer. And so we'll be, it's already been two months. Can you believe it? Uh, so that's, that falls on next, uh, the following Sunday. So November uh, 10th. Oh. Third, I'm sorry, November 3rd. We don't have two November 10s. Um, so that's the first Sunday of the month. 
after that, we're going to have Pastor JP speak into the Great Commission. And so that's the following week. And then lastly, we're going to be talking about the forerunner calling. And can you believe it? The week after that already is our retreat. It is already the end of the year. We are wrapping up the year already. After the retreat, it's basically Advent, you know? And so we are already wrapping up the year. So this is all leading us to a place of, you know, it's not just a cool tagline, like a, like a motto or like, ooh, like New Philadelphia Church calling all to the, it's not, it's, it's like, it's substantial and it's going to shape the way that we do ministry. It's going to shape the way that we shape, uh, shape the way that we shape, shape the way that we form our worship ministry, children's ministry, our discipleship, every part of what we do as a church is going to revolve around this calling all to the feast. And, um, kind of in line with this as well, um, leading up to the retreat. And this is an, an open invitation. There's no obligation attached to it. Um, but leading up to the retreat, uh, we want to open an invitation for the community to actually take a time to fast into it as well. Um, so the retreat is November 22nd to the 24th. And so it feels very, you know, not like very symmetrical, maybe, um, for us to fast the first three weeks of November. So first to 21st, and then we break the fast right before. Um, the fast can be anything from like media fast, fasting once. We just want to encourage the community to position ourselves simply to hunger and thirst after what God is able to do. There's nothing magical per se about a retreat. I kind of don't want us to just think like this is going to be it. Like the Lord is going to fix everything. He's going to, you know, like this is an event based thing. It's a setup for us. It's an opportunity for us. And the more we pray into it, we consecrate ourselves and we kind of, you know, we posture ourselves in a place of faith and expectation that God's going to do something. God is quick to respond and God is faithful uh, to respond in this way. So the first three weeks, we want to invite the community to fast in whichever way you feel led to. And so perhaps for the next week, it would be appropriate for all of us just to take a time to come before the Lord and ask him, how would you like me to spend those three weeks, you know, in, um, in the, fir- the first three weeks in November leading up to the retreat as well. So I feel like this is all really, you know, a a very fortuitous, is that a word? Um, Kind of timing the way that things kind of lined up in this way. Um, And I believe that the Lord is really going to be moving us forward as a community. Um, Just to kind of go back to the three different parts. And this is something that kind of came afterwards. Um, So as we've been praying and we've been asking the Lord um, how... Um, you know, as a church, how can we be reassured that this is something that you're doing? It's not just our idea. It's not just kind of our preference, but how um, can we know that this is something that, you know, you're doing right now? We've been asking for a lot of confirmation and this is, you know, this might be minor to you, but this is kind of major to me. Uh, when we kind of laid out all these things, it kind of struck me that, you know, the first, the great commandment, the first part is typically what we see local churches really revolving around. The second part, the great commission is something that we generally see the missions movement revolving around. And the third part is actually what we see a lot of house of prayer movements revolving around. And God is doing something, you know, and this is just my two cents. 
maybe three cents. Okay. This is just my inkling. The more I'm talking to people outside of the church and in different movements in different cities and different nations, we're seeing a convergence. We're seeing a convergence of the expression of the body of Christ. So it's not just contained to what a local Sunday meeting church looks like. It's not just about the missions movement and it's not just about the house of prayer movement. It's actually about all these different ways in which God's people are called to engage with him and with the world around us. And so I felt like that was kind of like a neat confirmation just for me personally, that the Lord is starting to shape the body of Christ all around the world, not just to be local church flavored and missions flavored or house of prayer flavored, but he's bringing about something much greater at this time in history. And so for me, this feels like it fits and it's not just a particular kind of church, but I believe this is what the Lord will be doing in a greater scale, um, all around the world. And I feel like we're going to see it more and more in this generation. So this is what is coming up for the next few weeks. Um, I wanted us to kind of close today just with a time of prayer. Um, there it's, it's no use if this is just something that the, the pastors and the elders and, and, you know, the staff believe in, and that's it. You know, there's no use in that. What we want to do is we want to invite the entire community to actually begin to pray into this, to make this not just a corporate matter, but also a private matter.